Welcome to this production from College Place United Methodist Church. To find out more about our church, please visit our website at www.collegeplaceumc.org. And now, here's our sermon from Rev. Tab Miller. Amen. He is enough. He is our portion. Nothing is impossible for God. Do you believe it? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today as we continue our Easter celebration. And during the season of Easter, we look closely at the power of the resurrected Jesus. As we've taken this journey here at College Place, we have been considering for weeks now the peace that comes along with the journey of Easter, the peace to go out into a world that is broken, a peace that is there for us when our world is crumbling around us and we feel like we are up against our impossible. So on Easter Sunday, what we did is we looked at Jesus' words to Mary Magdalene when he said, don't touch me. Now, if you weren't here, I'll remind you that he was not telling Mary that she was for some reason unworthy of touching him, or that somehow in his new state as a risen Lord, he was not able to be touched. What he was doing in this moment, he was actually directing her joy. He was directing her joy, telling her what to do with this overwhelming sense of joy that she had now that she had seen the risen Jesus. He was telling her that this does not mean that we can stay here. This doesn't mean that your journey is somehow over. What this actually means is quite the opposite. It means that we've only just begun. Don't hold on to me because we have to keep moving. That's what he was saying to her. There's work to be done. So direct your joy outward. May your joy and the peace that you have knowing that I have defeated death be what drives you out into the journey of Easter to share the good news. Because Easter is for us as the church a reminder that Jesus has risen. It is a time in which we prepare our hearts for the next message, which is Pentecost, the birth of the church and the mission to go out and preach the good news. On the second Sunday, however, we found the disciples on Easter evening hiding in fear even after hearing the words of Mary Magdalene that Jesus was risen, that Jesus is alive, and so we note that human beings on their own, we're, we're broken. It's, it's difficult for us to accept the word of God on our own. It's impossible, actually. And so Jesus, on that evening, he changes history for all who would follow. See, they had to see the risen Lord, but he breathes on the disciples and gives them a new peace and a new power to go and a new effectiveness in the Holy Spirit. Jesus changes history by making his presence dwell in all of us so that we can go out into a hurting and fearful world. And the third Sunday of Easter, we looked at another account of Jesus appearing to his disciples, and this time it records in the Gospel of Luke that they, they're scared because they feel like they've seen a ghost. Jesus eases their fear by doing mundane activities with them. He says, just, just touch me. 
Let's just eat a meal together. Let's, let's have a conversation. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, Easter peace isn't just for the surprising moment of my arrival. It is actually going to carry you out into the everyday. And then last week, we see how Easter peace not only is to impact our personal lives and overcome impossibilities in our own lives, it is to actually carry us out into a world that wants to lash out at us. It is a peace that carries us through the valley of the shadow of death because, as J.D. shared with us last week, we have a good shepherd who walks with us in the world as we carry out this mission. We have wolves who wish to devour us, real evil out there in the world. We have hired hands who want nothing more than a profit from us. But Jesus, Jesus just wants to love you for you. He wants to care for you. He wants you to grow. He wants you to mature for your sake because he loves you. So we have this call to go. This call comes with a power, a power of peace born in us by the Holy Spirit. It sustains us in the everyday so that we're prepared to live out a life of peace in a world that is crumbling around us. So this week we're going to look how this peace spreads beyond disciples, spreads beyond us, and how the gospel penetrates the impossible. We're going to look at how the gospel enters into hopeless situations, situations without any hope. The gospel runs headlong into the impossible and it bowls it over. So now let's read together from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Acts 8, 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candace, which means queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him of the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. <laughs> There's actually a whole lot going on in this text, and Dr. Daniel and myself have picked up a new favorite expression. It was told to us by one of our members when we were talking about some overwhelming projects. He said, if you have to eat an elephant, it's best to do so one bite at a time. So 
With that in mind, we're going to tackle the text today, this very important text today, one bite at a time. And at the end of our feasting, I hope that you feel full. I hope you feel satisfied. And we're going to have to walk away from this meal, leaving a lot of the elephant on the table. But I hope we have enough here today that we feel like we've gotten the meat of the message. So let's jump in. First of all, let me give you a little background. This is in the book of Acts, of course. And the book of Acts begins with Jesus talking to his disciples before Pentecost. And he tells them that they're going to preach his good news. They're going to spread his good news, in fact, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Sumeria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is, of course, building concentric circles. They are there in Jerusalem and it's just going to go spreading from there on out. It's going to start local, and it's going to go global. Now, I can't imagine how the disciples must have felt in this moment the impossibility that they had to face in this moment. You have to remember that they are hearing this actually before Pentecost. So they don't have this power that we're talking about all this time, this power of peace, this power to go, this power that Christ sends them with. They're hearing this, and they're thinking, yeah, right. First of all, Jerusalem. This is the city Jesus was killed in. Are we supposed to preach the message in this place to these people? And they do it. They do it. When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon them, they preach in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Christianity begins to explode, but then they're persecuted for it and they're driven out. We'll talk about more of that in a minute. Next, they are to preach in Judea. Okay, well, that's all well and good. Jesus seemed to have a pretty successful ministry in Judea. But it's a rural area, and how much can we spread the gospel with Judeans? If they get on our side, okay, well, where are they going to go? They stay pretty much their home bodies. Samaria, Samaria was next, but it's no uncommon knowledge for even us today that the Israelites and the Samaritans did not get along. Who among the Samaritans are going to receive from these Israelites the good news of Jesus but then perhaps the biggest impossibility, the ends of the earth. They didn't have air travel back then. They didn't even have maps like we have. They didn't have Google Earth. They didn't know what the entire globe looked like. And they knew that. They knew that they hadn't explored the entire earth. Not even Rome. The kingdom, the empire that owned them, that owned Israel, that was over Israel. Not even Rome covered the entire globe. How dare this peasant king from Israel think, to think that his message could get out that far. Yet as we see, Jesus makes the impossible possible. God, working in the Spirit, makes the impossible possible. He even takes foolish situations, or situations we would think to be foolish to be used, and he uses those to spread his word. It doesn't take long for the mission of Jesus, the spreading of his gospel, to take root in Jerusalem and cause a lot of controversy. Now, the temple has been the center of worship for many, many years, right? If you really wanted to get something started, you made sure it happened at the temple because everybody came to the temple. The temple is the center of faith. And yet, God allows the Christians there to be persecuted and to be driven out of the temple where they had been worshiping daily and adding to their numbers those who were being saved Christianity largely abandons the city of Jerusalem, and you have to ask yourself, along with the Christians, what is God thinking here? This evil known as persecution is the tool Jesus, Jesus uses to fulfill his call. God allows the evil to happen, and he turns it on its ear 
By driving the Christians out of Jerusalem, the powers that be inadvertently thrust Christianity out into Judea and Samaria after it had already taken root in Jerusalem. And so the good news spread like a wildfire. I take it that the powers that be in Jerusalem had not heard the expression, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Because they inadvertently sealed the deal that what they were working against was going to be successful. But what about this uh, greatest impossibility, this ends of the earth idea? I bet you about the time that this question was dawning on the disciples, how in the world are we going to reach the ends of the earth? This was about the time that this thought was coming across the mind of the Ethiopian eunuch. It was a different question, perhaps, but basically the same question. How is it possible that I'm ever going to get this faith? How is it ever how is it possible that I'm ever going to be touched by this God that I'm seeking, this Yahweh of Israel? How is this going to happen? You want to talk about the ends of the earth. An Ethiopian in this day was known to be from the ends of the earth. That was as far as you knew the world went. Ethiopia was the end of the earth. In fact, Ethiopian, the term Ethiopian, uh, often was just used, it was synonymous with this idea of having a very dark complexion and being from very, very far away. Now, we know that this Ethiopian was actually from Ethiopia because he was a servant of the Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. So he's from very, very far away. Now, scholars point out to us that while there was prejudice in this day and time, we talked about the Samaritans just a moment ago. In this day, for whatever reason, whatever sins that they had that drove them to prejudice, one of them was not skin color. They did not find dividing lines over skin color at this time. That would develop later on, closer to our modern day. And yet, we shouldn't be too quick to think that this Ethiopian man, this eunuch, had nothing to know about discrimination. He wasn't discriminated over his color. He wasn't discriminated over his social status. He was of great status. Let's talk about that for a moment. How do we know this man is of great status? First of all, he's a literate man. He is found reading out loud the gospel of Isaiah, by the, or the, the book of Isaiah. It wasn't uncommon in this day to read out loud. Actually, reading silently was part of a, probably the monk's practices in, uh, in the 80s, 300, 400, about that time. Uh, reading out loud was what they did back in this day. So we find him reading out loud. He's an educated man. He had to have money. He's riding in his own chariot, and he's reading. That means he's not driving. He commands the chariot to stop. That means he has servants serving him, driving him around. He had traveled at a great distance. How does a servant of the queen get enough vacation time banked up to travel from Ethiopia, which, by the way, is not where Ethiopia is now. It's, it was farther south in Africa, uh, but regardless, how does he have enough time off to travel months to go worship a god that's not the god of Ethiopia? He must have been very loved and trusted. And we also note that he acquired a scroll of Isaiah. And in this day, we know they didn't have Barnes & Noble. They did not have Amazon.com. Scrolls were expensive. They were copied down by the scribes over months of time. And they went to the religious elite and the political, like the lawyers, the people who oversaw things, 
they never got out into the private hands of the public. For him to acquire one, he dropped a lot of money. So what would have made the Ethiopian eunuch, who had all this power and money, feel dejected? How, in fact, do I know that he felt dejected? It comes in the fact that we are reading about a eunuch. In short, this means that he was castrated. Why? He hadn't, this wasn't something he chose, by the way. He was a high servant of royalty, and it was a horrible abomination in that day for a royal member of the harem, any female part of the royalty, to become defiled and pregnant by a male servant of the day. So in order to remove the temptation from the male servant, he was found at a very young age, and he was castrated to eliminate the risk. Now, different cultures of the day had different views on eunuchs. But there was one universal truth that haunted all eunuchs. In the ancient world, having children was everything to you. This is why Abraham longed to have children. It carried on for generations and generations. Because in that day and time, you passed on your entire legacy only to your children. That was your inheritance or to your servants. But you wanted to pass it on to your children. You wanted someone to be a remembrance of you, a, a monument to you, and your children were your best monument. They were meant to carry on your life's work. So with all the power and all of this money, he felt lost. He felt so lost that he traveled to Jerusalem to worship the God of Israel. Whatever pagan gods were in Ethiopia, they weren't good enough. He sought the God of Israel, yet he felt lost as he traveled home. He had made it to Israel. He had worshipped in the temple, in the outer courts. He was still an outsider as a eunuch. He would not get to experience the close inner circle of worship in that day. Now, some debate circles around whether or not he could have been Jewish. He actually could have been Jewish. The, the Jewish people had spread out far and wide at different times, and there was many Jewish people that, were, that belonged to different races by this time. He was probably, though, a God-fearer. And yet, whatever the case may be, he would have been an outsider even if he was Jewish because he was a eunuch. And the faith prohibited, the Israelite faith prohibited any person who had been mutilated, as it's put, in this regard, to enter into the inner court. Now, they could worship in the outer court along with the Gentiles. So he was, probably had a double whammy. He was probably a Gentile and he was a eunuch. Scripture prohibited him from entering the center or the inner circle. And this might seem like a red flag to you. You might say to yourself, how can the Bible discriminate against this man who was harmed bodily at no fault of his own, at no choice of his own? Why would God do this? I'm going to give you kind of the abridged answer to this, but here it is in brief. As you drew closer to the inner sanctum of the temple, closer and closer to the Holy of Holies, you were drawing closer symbolically to the Garden of Eden. You were drawing closer to perfection. And as a symbol of perfection, God eliminated certain things that could come in closer and closer and closer. At the very closest, it had to be the priests because they were ritualistically clean. Outside of that, it was those who had not been maimed in any way and on and on and on. You remember that even women once a month could not enter the temple for obvious reasons. 
This does not mean that they were excluded from temple worship. It does not mean that God said the eunuch cannot be a part of the kingdom of God. In an ironic way, what God was doing by not allowing them into the inner sanctum was giving them a sign of hope. You can't come into my presence unless you're drawing on to perfection. If you're unclean or or you're blemished, you're not going to get in. But the promise always was that one day you would get in. If you came to worship me, one day you would make it in. And so if you have this dichotomy where you can't get in unless you're perfect and one day you will come in, this means that one day God is going to make you whole. This was a testimony to God and God's perfection. And it was good news if you could hear it. But the injunction for the Israelite often taken seriously inadvertently allowed many people on the inside to exclude those on the outside. They became cliquish. And so we find the eunuch traveling, the Bible says, on a wilderness road. The word is desert. He was deserted road. No one else traveled this road, and God sent Philip to meet him. He is traveling a wilderness road both figuratively and literally. He expresses to Philip when Philip gets there, no one has explained the scripture to me. He went to Jerusalem all the way from Ethiopia to have someone tell him about the faith and no one would explain it to him. He went seeking and he thought he had not found answers. He ran up against an impossibility. He could not change what had happened to his body. What impossibility do you have that you think keeps you from God? Despite this, God performs his miracle for this hopeless man who runs into Philip, an evangelist. And the Spirit knew this man was seeking truth. And Philip was the vessel that God used. While Israel rejected this man, Jesus sought him out and he went on rejoicing. Nothing else is really said about the Ethiopian eunuch in the Bible. It just says he went on rejoicing. But Christian tradition, early Christian tradition tells us that he went on down through Africa spreading the good news. He went back home telling other people in Africa about Jesus. And this is where African ministry began. It was the Spirit's means to make the impossible possible. How are we going to reach the ends of the earth? And they're asking this question in there shows up an Ethiopian eunuch, a very unlikely character, to bless and to send on with the word of God. And Jesus breaks in with his gospel, making the impossible possible. This was the Spirit's means. Do you understand the beauty of this text? We find an Ethiopian eunuch who is dejected and feeling like he could never be blessed. And he is so blessed that he carries out the mission of Christ to the ends of the earth. The eunuch was, by the way, reading Isaiah 52 and 53. This is the text about the suffering servant. It is a prophetic text of the Messiah, Jesus. This man was rich and powerful, and yet he was a servant, and he felt as if he was suffering too because of what his masters had done to him. And in this text, it says, Who of his generation would proclaim him, for he was cut off? There's a double meaning here. It says he went before his accusers like a lamb led to be sheared. Another term in the ancient world for being castrated was to be shorn, 
to be cut off. The text has a double meaning for this young man. He knows he will have no generations to follow him, and he's wondering about this person in Isaiah. He says to Philip, is this about the prophet, or does this have some meaning today? And the answer that Philip gives him is well beyond anything he could have imagined. He says, this is about Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God, the embodiment of God, the Yahweh you have been seeking and he knows you're suffering because he suffers like you. Do you feel cut off? Do you feel like you have no future? Do you feel like because of something that happened in your past, whether something you could control or you could not control, something that happened to you in the past, something either you committed or something that was committed upon you, you feel like it has made you unworthy to enter into the courts of God. The eunuch felt this way, and he asks a heartbreaking question to Philip. Philip, what keeps me from being baptized right now? There's some water. Can I, can I be baptized? Let's stop, let's stop right here. I got to know. You see, his whole life he was told that he was excluded. What keeps me from being in the inner circle? Well, you, you're, not, you're not a Jew, Jewish person. You're a Gentile. Well, I'll convert. Well, you can't because you're a eunuch. And in this moment, Isaiah 52 and 53 is brought to life for him. For Christians, we look at this and we have an answer to the question, can I really proclaim the truth to that person? The answer is, yeah, you can. Is God's gospel for those in the wilderness? Yeah, it's for those who have been rejected and cast aside. Also, as a disciple, we may wonder, how will God ever reach those people in those places and we see God orchestrating here the impossible. And we can't just say to ourselves, well, the Spirit will take care of it. He'll just he'll work it out. Because we notice the Spirit does work it out, but not apart from Philip. So what I'm trying to say to you is this. God wants to bring his gospel to the world. And he wants to do so through his disciples. God will use us to do the impossible and oftentimes he won't do it apart from us. But we'll have the spirit with us. We'll have this peace that we know that the impossible is made possible because of Jesus Christ. He will do it, but not apart from us often. Often he, he can do whatever he wants, but he wants to use people. That was his plan from the very beginning. As the band comes back up at this time, I finally want to talk about the peace that God brought to this eunuch. The eunuch knew his status. He knew his status was a problem. Yet he was coming to a prophecy. Don't you imagine that as he was reading the book of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah, if he had made it to 53 by the time he was baptized, don't you think that after he was baptized, he went on reading? Well, this is what he would read in Isaiah 56, only moments probably after his baptize, he was baptized. For thus says the Lord... 
To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will, I will give in my house and within my walls, the place that you've always been rejected, a monument and a name. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Thus says the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel. I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. In Jesus, this time has come for God to gather the outcast, and he wants to do so using his disciples. So may we go out as a people and be a people who don't look at others like the world looks at them. Even sometimes as a religious elite would look at them. For God says, if they're seeking me, they can find me. That's the gospel. God wants to penetrate your impossibilities. Open your heart to him today. Because nothing's impossible for him. Amen. This has been a production of College Place United Methodist Church. May God bless you richly upon hearing this message.